For two plus decades now, Blue October has been stirring audiences. We've watched, followed, and loved them from the early beginnings of Hate Me to whatever they show us tomorrow. We bleed blue, and many of us have used that blue blood and this amazing music to get through our own experiences. It's always been there. Welcome to Just Sway, the Blue Experience, where your host, Lucas Peterson, takes on and shares everything Blue October. Let's Just Sway. For me, I think music is so crucial in healing. And I don't care what you listen to. It, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to ever judge someone for listening to what they want to. If that is what you need to do to make yourself feel better, cool. It's a healthy, it is a very healthy outlet. Music expresses that which cannot be put into words. It can name the unnameable and communicate the unknowable. Another saying I saw the other day said, good music defeats bad luck. All of these are so incredibly true with Tara's story. Welcome to Just Sway. This is episode nine, Jump Rope. And I wanna begin by first of all saying thank you for listening today. I'm glad you're here. This has been an episode that has been long in the making and I'm excited to share it with you. First, Remember, if you enjoyed Just Sway, please do me a favor and leave a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't done so yet, hit that little subscribe button and you'll be notified automatically when a new episode is available. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for Just Sway Show. I would love to hear and see what you have to say about the podcast, so take a screenshot and tag the show. And make sure to share it with your friends, too. So this episode has been in the making since the end of December 2018. Tara and myself first connected online through one of the Blue October Facebook pages, and when I learned she had a particular project with a Blue October theme around it, I knew I needed the whole story. And then it came time the other day to do the introduction for this episode, and I actually had too much to say. Surprise, surprise. So much so that my trying to write it down just got blocked and jammed up. So I gave it a little bit of time, tried again, and then I decided I was just going to jump in and go with that and talk a little here, but mainly quit wasting time so we can get right into Tara's story. So here we are, the beginning of episode nine, and I am so very honored to introduce to you Tara. And we've heard from her before on a couple of the previous episodes, but let's first start here by going back with her to where and how Blue October came into her world. Funny story, um, my cousin went to Lollapalooza, and she brought me back a shirt. And it's funny because I had a big butterfly on it with all the bands on it. I forgot how old I was. October was on there. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting, blah, blah, blah. And like Screaming Trees were on there, and I kind of looked it up. Okay. And that's pretty much how it was because I'm, I'm that person that I'll look up people. You know, like if they're mainstream cool or whatever but I kind of like I kind of like discovering bands but I wasn't it wasn't like I went to this whole blue October psychosis until I was an adult when their music really impacted my life and then I was able to really relate to the music okay. um, and understand it sure so so one of the things you talked about in your book your ex-husband I think it was your first husband mm -hmm had sent you a song once sent you the hate me song and you were like screw you dude you know i love this band yeah. why are you sending me this song yeah. tell me more about that so he and i we married a month after knowing each other we were together seven years and we were going through shit you know we weren't very nice to each other um i'll admit that and i was working at a group home it was overnight for whatever reason he, he wasn't a good communicator and for whatever reason, he didn't realize what the so he didn't realize the song was about addiction, but he felt in his heart he wasn't trying to do a bad thing. He just was, hey, you know what? Like I'm gonna let you go, and you know, just 
I'm letting you go and this is the way I'm kind of doing it. And he felt that song was a way to let go. He didn't realize that he didn't have an addiction in that song. That's what it was about. Mm -hmm. And, um, but for me it was like, why, why take something that I love and ruin it? And, um, you know, and that, and that's what that was about. And it was just of all songs too. I mean, that's one of, I think Justin's, I mean, most brilliant songs i mean it is of course one of his most popular ones but it just shows the pain that he was in and i think in some weird way that was the way my ex-husband was trying to show the pain he was in and the pain he was causing me when he sent that to me it was the year we decided to get divorced and the book i'm referencing you wrote a book Mm -hmm. and published it in 2018 called jump rope yes which is based on another Blue October song. Yes. Which Okay, go ahead and tell me um, more about that. So, and it's funny because Jump Rope is one of their cutesy songs, I guess you would say. However, I could go with that, yeah. But it still has such a positive meaning, and my entire life has always been up and down, up and down, like a jump rope. And But the message in that song is no matter what happens, you just got to keep pushing forward. You just got to keep believing in hope. You just got to keep just doing what you do. I always have, and I always will. I don't know. It just, I had actually was toying with a few ideas, but jump rope stuck. You know, that's my life. It's one big jump rope. Okay. <laughs> so. And you said we talked because you've been here in Dallas a few days now. Mm-hmm. You said it took you 10 years to write this book. Yes. So when I started it, I mean, this book actually was strictly for therapeutic purposes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was going to write it and pretty much just leave it in the vault and not do anything with it. When I started it, I, you know, I put names in it and I just did what I felt was right. But I kept getting angry. I kept erasing it. Uh, I kept wanting to, you know, start over and there was just something that was telling me like, don't write it this way. And then finally something clicked and I started to write and the words just started to flow. A lot of it had to do with the music I was listening to. And I I was going back and forth between, you know, country songs, um, hip hop and, and rap songs. And then I decided to put all my blue on shuffle, every single album that I had, which was all of them, up until the um, the home album. And then I finally added that to my collection because I literally just finished my book in what well, came out this year, but I finished last it year last year. Last year, <laughs> now, yeah, Happy New Year. Um, but I did finish writing it in 2016. So the process went really quick for me, but every single song fueled every word in my book. Okay. There were moments where, you know, and then I would have it on shuffle. So, you know, if, if like, say, Bleed Out came on, I would type really fast and really aggressively. And and then, you know, and then we would have, like, a happier song. And um, there's so many of them. But then I would be able to, you know, slow down my pace. And that actually helped me keep in the frame of mind of writing. Sure. There's happy songs from Sway because you're you're talking about pre-home. Pre-home. So the one before that was Sway. Yeah. You know what? And you know what's funny is um, Fear. Absolutely. I I listen to that every day. But it's funny because the happy album for me is Home. You know, you you have, you know, I think even though it's a very deep song, like Breaking Ground, I think it's a happy song. I'm very weird that way. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, I look at happiness as, you know, look at what I've done, look what I've gone through and I'm still standing. Um, but then, of course, Home is absolutely an amazing, beautiful song. But Sway itself is just yep. <laughs> like, but one of my all-time songs that is one of the most beautiful songs ever is 18th Floor Balcony, which absolutely was fueled a lot of emotion for me because it just has to do with, you know, relationships and love. And, um, and for me, it's, I don't think I've ever felt that. And so for me, it was like, thinking like oh okay and this is what he's going through and you know I was trying to dig deep into something an emotion for me to be able to feel some of my writing but yeah no there's there's quite a bit what do you think is it with and you you've described some other music but we're talking particularly with blue october music and you're writing during this process while you're listening to this music 
and it's stirring this pot inside you that's able or allowing you to get this stuff out. Why? Can you describe what is it about that music, this music, this man's message and lyrics and the rhythms? For one, there's something about Justin's voice that's so calming. And, you know, when he does things acoustically or even with his, like, the open book, um, when we were we were listening to uh, Amnesia, and when he sings that, you know, acoustically, there's a, a pitch in his voice. Mm-hmm. And he, it gets to this point where it's like you have to have a soul to be able to really understand the pain he's going through. For me, listening to Ryan play the violin and Let It Go on the Foiled album, oh, like, I'm done. <laughs> like, good night. <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm over. It's, it's done and over with for me. So, um, But I think it's just the combination of, of all of them and the fact that that's a family. That importance of family is crucial to Tara. The connection, the bond, a sense of belonging, the link that people share who call each other family. And whether blood or not, when you're in Tara's life, you're family. If you're a friend in her life, she makes you feel like family. And that history is deep for her and goes back to her own childhood and what she experienced from the family she grew up with. But not in the, here's the example of family you should follow, more so kind of, here's what not to do. But you wrote this book from an interesting perspective. It's not written from Tara writing it. Here's what happened. Here's my... Tell me how you approach that and what it is that you did. So two of my very favorite things in the whole world is Blue October and Harry Potter. You know, I I think that it's not like, I mean, because the books actually, you know, they get really adult the further along the series, but there's something, well, it's magic. There's something so magical about Harry and Harry, the books have actually gotten me out of some deep depression. So... I was trying to figure out how to write this book without being angry. And uh, so I wrote it through the eyes of a guardian angel and I named him Harry Uh and this guardian angel, he's an asshole and he's a drunk (laughs) and he didn't get to heaven because he was such a dick in his previous life. You know, he follows me around my entire life and it's through his eyes and and he admits it through the whole book like dude like I'm pretty much he's fucking up like he can't help me and you know but he starts to feel like he's like shit like this poor girl and what she's going through but it's through his eyes and and how he's always you know watching out for me it was a good way for me to take myself out of it but still be in the comfort zone of something you know because the, the, the book series is home to me and to be able to just, I don't know, just reach in that way. And that's why the publishers liked it that way. They mm-hmm. liked the fact that I came and wrote it through the eyes of somebody else. So it's a fictional memoir. The only name in there is Harry. Um, I mean, you hear, you know, he'll call me angry girl or sweet girl, you know, to get my emotion. But he's the only name in there. Okay. Yeah. He never says your name. No, I don't. Okay, no. I guess I didn't realize that. No, he never says he never says my name, you know. And I think part of it too is I wanted no matter what my life brings or the shit that I go through, I'm still very protective. And even though those people hurt me greatly, I don't want. I mean, they're going to be embarrassed if they read it. If people put the pieces together, but. For me, it's it's protecting myself and it's protecting them because for me, this was this book technically was my closure. It was, you know, and I understand and forgiveness is a very, very weird thing because you're supposed to be able to forgive and just walk away from it. Like, you know, it's supposed to help you out, not for the other person. You know, I don't think I have forgiven people because they continuously still hurt me. Um, and I, I don't think you can forgive people if they continuously still hurt you. But for me, it was it was my closure. Like, okay, I got all my, my, my story out, my words out. I was finally able to purge my soul, so to speak. And I'm going to carry on. 
That's what I did with Harry. And I actually tried to start writing a, a book, a fictional book, just on Harry and how he became the angel. But I found writing fiction is a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to have a, a brilliant imagination. And, you know, and I guess I had an imagination to be able to do that, so to speak. Yeah, Harry's going to have to wait a little bit. Having never written a book myself, I don't know what that process is like. The only word that comes to mind in maybe trying to pinpoint it would be intense. And I'm sure Tara isn't the first person to write while listening to music or even listening to Blue October. However, Tara wasn't writing fiction. She wasn't making things up to go with a storyline that she had in her head. But instead, Tara's writing of Jump Rope was a memoir of sorts. So we've got Harry, this drunk, asshole, guardian angel, watching over Tara during her life. And sure, a lot of us probably feel like we have a similar presence in our world, this force that protects us from danger and wrongs we may encounter along our journey. Albeit, most of us would probably describe that force in a more angelic manner. But that's not Tara. And it certainly wasn't Harry, for a reason. Let's kind of dive more into your book. You started writing the book. You said 10 years it took to do the book. What spurred on, you touched on it a second ago, but something brought you to the point where you were like, I need to tell my story. My book pretty much starts out with uh, me being molested by my, my grandfather, my my maternal grandfather. Mm-hmm. It only happened once. I was able to fight the fucker off at 11, and I think that's pretty amazing for an 11-year-old to fight off a grown man. It should have never happened. And the moment it happened, I went to ask for help with my grandmother, and she immediately said, no one's going to believe you. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized I'm probably not the first one that this happened to. So my mom was actually on her honeymoon with my my stepdad and when this happened. And so when she came back from the honeymoon, my grandmother, you know, pretty much said I attacked my grandfather. And my mom couldn't understand why, because I'm not a violent person. But from the time I was that from the time I was 11 until, well, pretty much 2016, I pretty much have been shit on by my mom. And I know I know my family disagrees, but the one thing in the world as a parent that you do is to protect your kids at no cost. And I've been fighting for my mom to listen to me, to believe me. Why in the hell would I make something up at that age, first of all, and then continue to carry on with it? Like, if I had made it up, wouldn't you think I would have dropped it a long time ago? When nobody was giving you the energy. Right? Yeah, but I no, would think. You know, so what ended up happening to me is I became emotionally stunted at that age. I did a lot of research on this. Um, I'm 37. But I do fully believe emotionally I'm 11 years younger than I am because at that, when he, when he fondled me, um, something happened and I went into protective mode and I went to this childlike state and I never really kind of grew out of it. I'm very intelligent, I'm very, you know, but it's, and, and it, for me, it's a big thing for me to even admit that I, I feel that I am emotionally younger. So what ended up happening was I couldn't express things to people I couldn't talk to people because you know my grandma was kind of law in the family and you know I just had this in the back of my head no one's gonna believe you and then it kind of came to fruition because I was in the eighth grade and I wrote it in a journal because I had to get it out my mom found my journal and her response was why did you want to get your grandfather in trouble why are you saying all these lies so that was when I realized I was in on it for myself, like in on it, you know, just trying to help myself and heal myself. And ever since then, I've never been able to express to her anything. And I've hidden everything bad that's happened to me. I've just tried to do things on my own. And there have been people. Um, one thing about my daughter's dad, my first husband, he did try. He tried so hard to get my mom and my grandma and grandfather um to talk to me and just to get out in the open. I didn't want anything. I wanted to know why. I wanted an apology. I'm not a hateful person. You know, I I don't know why I 
was even entertaining the idea of forgiving him and her, what ended up happening was, fucking bitch, she yeah, goes, yeah, I don't have time for you right now. We're going on a cruise for like, I think it was like two weeks. So pretty much. Yeah, I remember that yeah, from the book. So pretty much like, we'll talk when we get back. And that's when I was like, door shut. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. And, and a lot of the reasons why I, I think I wanted to talk to him was I, I Daphne, my daughter just turned one. And it was like, I don't want this to happen to her, mm-hmm. period. I also, um, I got pregnant in high school. So Daphne's not my only kid. I have a 20-year-old who he and I had a falling out. And uh, and that's okay. He's going to do his own thing. And he'll realize that eventually that I'm not the monster that everyone claims that I am on that side of the family anyway. Mm-hmm. So, but I hid my pregnancy. I didn't trust anybody. So when I gave birth to him at home, mind you, <laughs> and I can hear all the women gasping right now, like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and you talk about this in the book. And it's very open and upfront and honest. Yeah. And you say, look, you can judge me. I'm that teenage mom who had a baby in the bathroom yep. and nobody knew about yeah. it. I gained 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran two miles a day. I was on the track team. And yeah. I was so scared to, to say anything. And, you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, I, I wasn't, because here's the thing. It's like, I chose to have unprotected sex. I knew what I was doing. I knew the consequences of my actions. When I was molested, I didn't choose that. And I didn't get help with that. So in my brain, it was like, I'm not going to get help with this either. You know, it took me a long time to finally come to terms with the fact that if I had gotten help Maybe when I was younger, maybe things would have turned out differently. But at the same time, as much of my life that I've gone through that's been shitty, a lot of amazing things have come from it. And so I have to just look at everything as an experience, whether it's good or bad. But that's pretty much why I started writing my book, because I needed to get my story out for myself. So was there a a part of you that wrote the book, you wrote it for your own self-therapeutic self-therapy, I guess, if you want to say it that way. Was there also a part of you that wanted to tell this story in case somebody out there is reading and saying, oh, this is this is me, or this is similar to me because no circumstances are exactly alike? I mean, you've got that helper personality. Was there some of that in there as well? You know what? There was, absolutely. My greatest fear was that when I wrote it, people in my life who like you know the side of the family that I don't talk to we're gonna judge me which some of them have found out about it and uh are judging me so I was right in that aspect but you know yeah it's it's one of those things where I people have touched me with their stories so you know when I finally got up the courage, which was because of a friend of mine who I, I, I gave it to him to read. I know since high school, I was like, hey, read this. And he goes, this is really good. Like, you should, you know, see what you can do with it. But it wasn't always the case. I, I really was just going to keep it in the vault and just for my own self. But then I realized, why the fuck not, dude? Like, this happened to me. If I was making it up, first of all, I wouldn't write about it. Like, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't have it out in the open for everyone to read. Yeah. So I just, and it actually. Well, you published it under your own name. I did. So. I I did. I was going back and forth between a pen name and my real name. And I was like, no, you know what? This is my story. And who, who knows? Maybe it will help someone. And actually, a few of my blue sisters who have read it, they said, you know, it has triggered them. It took them a, a while to read it. But. Yeah, they're so glad that I am still here and that I did publish it. Someone listening right now, I would strongly suggest going and reading the book. I did. And I've not gone through that same thing as you. I'm a male. I don't have nearly the chances of that happening to me. Let's just be honest, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know what the statistics are for sexual assault on... 15 and younger, 12 and younger, 18 and younger. I know women in general, it's something like one in three or one in four. It's astonishing. It's almost angering, I would say, you know, that so many women do have to go through those situations at any age. But for young girls, 
to have to be subject to that. But someone listening right now, first off, go read the book again. But what would you want to say to them right now? Maybe they've dealt with this whatever time in their past. And what what's the f- number one thing, piece of advice you would say to them at this moment? One, it's not your fault. It doesn't matter what you were wearing or what you were not wearing, where you were going, if you're by yourself, if you're with a group of people. It's not your fault. And two, speak up. Be loud. I find that it's more detrimental for your own personal health if you're not. I I get the fact that people are afraid because of the backlash, you know. And, you know, and there are times. And and here's where I, for you being a a man, you know, this is where I feel for you guys. Because there are people who will, quote unquote, make something up. But you will know that from the get-go if that happened. And and so I do feel for you. I am not one of those that's like, you know, I believe in empowering women, but I also believe in doing the right thing as well. And I wouldn't want anybody to be like, oh, I'm mad at you, so I'm going to make up this story. But, yes. yeah. you know, but for those who have been victimized, I don't even like using the word victim, but it's true. Yeah, speak up. Find just somebody, just one person, one person. That's all you need because... If you get one person to hear your story, you're not holding it in. You got it out. And even if, you know, you told that person, hey, I really don't, you know, I don't want to press charges. I just want to forget it. Cool. Whatever. But just get it out because it will eat you alive. It will. And it, it ate me alive for years. And, and every time I would find my voice, though, it would get shut down again, even as an adult. So for me, I'm literally finding my voice. Okay. And I, I guess I should also back up and qualify that and say not just young girls because as you're answering that, I'm like, wait, young young men could be suffering from that, but on a lot lesser scale. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to be honest. But if you are a young male, a young boy, whatever age you are, and you've suffered from something like this, take the same advice. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's definitely applicable. It's probably just as difficult for a young man to speak up about something like that as well as it would be for a young woman. But young women get the whole exactly what you touched on. Well, what did you do? Mm-hmm. What were you acting like? What were you wearing? And nothing boils my blood more than hearing that bullshit. But, you know. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. And, and I think back to when I was little. Because I have one of those. Unfortunately, I have one of those memories where I remember everything. And I think that's where my anxiety comes from. Because I... Like, say you and I were talking and you looked at me funny or I said something and, you know, I think maybe you took it the wrong way. I'll remember that for the next 20 years. Like, period. That's just the way my brain works. But the day it happened to me, I was wearing blue pajamas and I happened to just want to sit on my grandfather's lap to watch fucking Saturday morning cartoons. Mm -hmm. That was it. And apparently that was an invitation. Unfortunately, he's still alive and... uh. You know, I always thought maybe, you know, when he when he does die, if it's going to bring me closure. But I don't know. I don't think like when my grandmother died and it and it's not funny, but um, I was told by a family member who I, I do like. I just don't talk to her that much that when my grandmother was on her deathbed, she told my son. And so he touched her. She should have been over it by now. Oh, my. So and that's so, an awful message to send to anyone, but yeah. not only that, but that's your loved one, mm-hmm. you know, so, so it's got to be really tough for you to hear that. That turmoil from childhood, as usually happens, also passed on to Tara's adult relationships, something that took her a bit of time to realize and pinpoint a reason for, and a topic she talks about quite a bit in her book, Jump Rope. But while the recounting of the failed marriages is tough, What you do not hear or read from her is any bit of harboring any sort of ill will or resentment. And most certainly, some would argue she's got all the justified credibility to do so. Absolutely. Um, So when I met my, and I have to preface this, um, I do not hate my ex-husband. He and I get along. So the stuff I wrote in my book is based on when we were married. We were very young. We knew each other a month and we got married. Mm -hmm. So I just have to preface that because it's one of those things where, you know, he, he has been an amazing father to our daughter and 
he is one that if I need help, I can call him and he would come and help me. So we've definitely grown. But Great. Um, yeah, that's so encouraging to say. Yes. Uh, it took us a long time to get to this point. But, you know, I think I married him to get out of a situation and he was in the military. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those things where I think he wanted I th- I know he loved me. I don't know if he was in love with me. I know I wasn't in love with him. But I loved him. I I felt that he and I helped each other how we were supposed to in that time of our lives. But it did get violent. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very violent. (sighs) You know, I I remember, you know, being held hostage (laughs) for a few days. He took my car keys. And and the reason why anyone knew I was okay was because my my best friend comes knocking on the door because I missed her son's birthday and he opens the door and she's like get the fuck out of my face like move and she looked at me and she's like are you okay and I was like yeah and she was no are you okay we did a lot of not nice things to each other Um, I cheated on him because I was trying to get out of the marriage I don't condone cheating at all and it actually backfired on me so I felt even worse about that he put hands on me many times but I provoked him. I, you should not put hands on anybody, but at the same time, I put hands on him too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, granted, it was in self-defense, but, you know, we weren't nice to each other. I, you know, I, I did all, a lot of nice things to him as well. So I'm not saying I was right and he was right or wrong. It's just, you know, at that time in our lives, it is what it is. But we are raising our daughter in the best positive environment we can. And for us to get to that point when I'm not covering up bruises on my neck or having to literally be kicked out of bed <laughs> after a fight, he did pull a gun out on me. And, uh, Which you talked about in the I book. I did. I think, and I'm not saying that you know he was right, he was absolutely wrong, and I have bad PTSD from it. I went to therapy and I came home and I didn't want to tell him what I was talking about. And he got mad and he goes, why don't we end this now? All of a sudden he went and got his gun. And so I got on the bed and I'm in the fetal position. And then I was like, now that I think about it, I'm like, that would not have protected me at all. That's very instinctive. Though. Yeah. But you know, yeah, to cover your head and, yep. and I, and I, and I, I look up and the gun was actually next to me. And I never asked him, but I always wondered if he wasn't going to shoot me or if he wanted me to shoot him, mm-hmm. you know, and then it got, it got to the point. There was one instance, actually, this goes back to blue shocker. Um, there was one instance where he showed up at my school and, uh, the person that I cheated on him with was a classmate of mine. And um, you were in uh, like a community college. It or was something? it was right. It was a university. A university. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, he showed up at the school. Thankfully, he never saw him. But we kind of raced home because you know he. I was at class and he showed up and he had blocked me in. And a good friend of mine was like, "Come on, dude! Like, you know, this is her school." Because he saw us arguing, he's like, "Just let it be right now." And uh, I kind of had a feeling he had a gun under the seat. And it turned out he did have his gun under his seat as well. But we raced home. And my mom was watching the kids. And, you know, it's funny. Like, even though I I don't like my mom, I would have never kept her away from her grandkids. Because I'm not that person. Mm -hmm. So she was watching the kids. And we got into it. And me and my ex, we got into it. And, you know, he's calling me a whore and a slut. And I'm freaking crying. And then... All of a sudden, I take a knife. I'm like, I'm just going to end it now. And then the knife was taken out of my hands. And I, I didn't cut myself. I'm not a cutter. I, I tried once when I was 16. I didn't like it. Um, I think it was just more of a attention-seeking. Like, I'm in pain. Like, hear me, dude. Like, you're, it, you know. But then I went to my room and turned on blue. I don't even remember what it was. I just turned on blue and I cried myself to sleep. And then it, it got to that point where I was like, we need to divorce. We were both unhappy, and it killed me, though. I wanted to make it work, and it actually killed me to say that, you know, I wanted a divorce. 
I don't mess around with that. I chose to marry him no matter what the circumstances were. Um, I'm not that person who just wants to throw away stuff, you know, but it was that time. I was always loving for the fact that he gave me our daughter, but what actually, we actually, the divorce was fine. It was weird. The divorce was fine. We, we went together to file the paperwork and, and then all of a sudden, you know, the game started happening because it was just like, there wasn't uh, I I didn't ask for child support, you know, cause I'm an idiot, but you know, and I, cause I just, I just wanted to be done and over with. I was just so exhausted. And, but then the game started happening cause we didn't have a set child schedule. And then with my work schedule, he just, and I, and I worked a lot, but part of that's, I take part responsibility for that. Absolutely. Um, I spent more, a lot of time at work. I wasn't being neglectful to the kids. It was just, I'm, I'm trying to one income, not two anymore. So I'm trying to work. They were safe. They were at home. He actually offered for me to have the, our house and he would move out. But because of, I couldn't afford it. And I didn't think, hey, get a roommate. So I sacrificed living with my kids so that way they could be stable. Um, he took that at the time as I'm being neglectful. You know, long of the short of that is we went through a few years of court and games and then we, you know, we finally got a schedule that we were really strict on and it became a game with that. But then slowly the years pass, things started to loosen up a little bit. Um, we grew up, kids grew up. You can hear a certain toughness in Tara, in the way she describes and discussed with me what she went through as a child with her grandfather and her family, with what happened afterwards, and then her first marriage. You also get from listening to her this sense of protection for the people around her, that helper-type personality as it is described. In fact, that personality trait has also come to surface in her career choices as well, where she's always worked hard to help other people. Working for over a decade as a residential counselor, Tara also used a unique way of connecting and bonding with the at-risk youth she calls my kids. Something she used to get through her own tough times, she graciously passed on and helped others with as well. For me, when I started working at-risk youth, I had ages from the youngest was six to I had, um, we had transitional housing adults so 21 yeah for 10 years I had I I always said that I shaped their lives but they shaped mine and because you know here are these and I don't want to call them damaged but they were thrown out they were you know society cast them off as you know losers and you know it's like wait their parents did this to them their their guardians the people that love them did things to them and we're trying to take care of them and you know and that's where society really sucks because you know it's like oh well you're a foster kid or you're this or that fuck you these are my kids you know and I will fight to the death and I I have gotten into it a few times but what I've noticed working with them the music they would listen to their iPod. It could be the same song over and over again, but it calmed their anxiety. Mm -hmm. I connected with that. I connected with the fact that, you know, it could just be the beat of it. It could be the words. It just could be just something that it reminds them of happier times. But for me, I think music is so crucial in healing. And I don't care what you listen to. It, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to ever judge someone for listening to what they want to. If that is what you need to do to make yourself feel better it is a very healthy outlet I am that girl that I love going to concerts that's how I do my coping I go to concerts I've went to my first metal show and went into a pit I was bruised (laughs) (laughs) but but for me that was a healthy coping I could have been cutting myself or shooting up no I just decided to get you know kicked a little bit but I'm okay, you know, and then that's what I was trying to teach my kids for all those years, too, is 
it doesn't matter where you come from it doesn't matter who you are where you want to be music is a um a relatable thing across the board across the board period there's not you know everyone knows about music you know and so for me it was like I like to listen to their music too to figure out you know what's in their brain and then their hearts and stuff but um they're more the the hip-hop stuff but you know the newer yeah the newer but yeah it's which is fine absolutely but you know I had gotten into the field because I was trying to heal myself from my own personal wounds and it took a long time for me to realize that wasn't healthy you know and, and situations happen and life happens and I put so much into myself working with these amazing kids who some I'm still in contact with to this day some still call me to check in and say hey can you help me with this and I mean it's the work never stops sure but I don't consider it work it's I've they know that they can reach out to me still you know and I'll be there for them but I got burnt out from working I mean it got to the point where I was spending more time at work because of just stuff going on at home and I just I was a mess you know I just I I I wasn't healthy mentally or emotionally and I felt that the longer I worked the healthier I'd become and it was wrong it was the other way it was the other way around sure And, and it wasn't until I left the field in 2014 then I realized how unhealthy I was and the longer I'm away from it the more I realized that okay um, I need to figure out something. So that's, I mean, but that's where my music comes in. It's just, you know, I have to listen to it every day. I mean, and sometimes I listen to the same song every day. It's like I wake up, some people read the Bible, some people pray, you know, go to the gym. I listen to my music. Mm-hmm. I have to. Tara has repeatedly turned to music in the tougher times, like so many of us that follow Blue October do and can connect with. And most of her life, that music in those moments has been enough to help her to keep going. However, with all that she's been through, there have been periods where that fight to persevere was almost lost. And she talked about that and shared that with me. You know, this goes back to my husband, and it was a story I was when I showed you my blue tattoos. Uh-huh. Um, I have three of them. One is get back up from fear. And then uh, I have Life's Like a Jump Rope, which is awesome because Justin wrote it for me. And I, you know, it's in a very painful spot, but it didn't hurt at all going on. And then I have my I Want It tattoo. I raise my hand in grace, pray for the ones I wish I could erase. Both my I Want It tattoo and my Fear tattoo helped me from committing suicide. Um, I think I touched, why well, I told you just recently that um, I'm not a cutter. I tried once. So for me... Uh, for me, my my uh, if I chose to commit suicide, it's always by vehicle. I, there was something about crashing that I'm just like. But then I thought to myself, huh? Well, what if I survive the crash? It's not too foolproof. <laughs> I'm just not. gonna say no, no, absolutely. It's an idiotic <laughs> thing to think. But that's but when you're in that frame of mind, you don't yeah, think about it. Of course, so, of course, you're not because yeah. you. That's why you're there. Um. But, you know, my I want it tattoo happened. I got it in February of um, 18. And um, it happened after, you know, my daughter told me she don't want to be with me anymore. My, you know, my mother, who I actually went to help, asked her for help back in 2017 when my daughter said she don't want to be with anymore. She had just come from her grandparents' house. And her response was, my mom's response was, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry. I'm in the hospital with your grandfather. I don't have time for you right now. So I'm thinking he's dying. Cool, right? Spend time with your dad. Nope. He had a broken leg or whatever the fuck it was. It took her two weeks, two weeks to contact me, my own mother. Oh, hey, how's it going? I'm like, I'm good. Go fuck yourself. Like, And ever since then, I'm like, I refuse to talk to you. But I remember I was in so much pain and I was house sitting for my dad and I was driving up this hill and uh, there was a semi and I was playing chicken and then all of a sudden I want it came on. I was like, the fuck am I doing? Like, no, like, you know, I snapped out of it. And, you know, and for me, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I got to change my mindset. 
and I went and um, I talked to my my guy and um, Elvis, who's absolutely amazing artist. And you know, and I just sat there and uh, for like two hours, and I took a nap. And it was just so therapeutic for me just to get. You know, it took me a while for me to go get it. I, I, I've only had a few impulsive tattoos. The I want it tattoo was a, a few months in the making of just thinking about what I really want. My get back up tattoo was very impulsive. Give a brief description of what it is. So it's just, it's on my right arm and it's... Your right forearm. My right forearm. And Inside. Yeah, and it's a blue heart um, and it's in script, get back up. The courage to share those experiences and dark thoughts is a very vulnerable spot, probably one of the most vulnerable spots to be in. And sharing in Tara's courage there, in those moments as we just did, should show us all that hope always remains. You have a woman who grew up feeling as though her thoughts and feelings weren't believable and then had that carry forward into relationships that became toxic and violent, and she still found the hope in keeping the fight going day after day. She wanted to be a good mother, to be the best example for her daughter she could be. She wanted to be a good friend, to let others in her life know that they mattered, even if she couldn't quite completely believe that about herself. So what's next for Tara? What is her attitude going forward after Jump Rope's release and following all that she's been through in life. Those tattoos on her arm, I want it, and get back up, and the music they represent, how does she translate that into her daily life now? Whoever's listening to this right now, well, you don't know where you're touching them. You don't know if someone's listening to this at this moment and going, oh, shit, that's me. I'm thinking about doing that. I've had those thoughts, and I've just heard what she's gone through and I can go read her book and I can know more and I can experience some of that. And she's smiling and laughing and here today. And we all can have a face that we show to the world. And then we have our own real life and it, it can be different, no doubt. But I've now hung around with you enough to know that, and we've talked a bunch to know that you do have a bright spirit and you do have this fight and that not give up and that make it to today, mm-hmm. you know, and good for you. Thanks. I don't know where it comes from though. Well, you don't have to, do you? you know, no, I, I don't. And that's always been me. I question everything, but yeah. it's just, you know, and that's why I love, I want it so much, you know, is because it's like, well, I want it more than you. So I'm going to fight more than you. And, you know, I'm just going to, yeah, I don't, I I never understood where it came from. I got to find a quote for you. Okay, I, like, qu- I like quotes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saved it in my favorites because it kind of resonated big time with me. This is a book written by someone who is, uh, it's a beautiful book. It's, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. The name of the book is Until I, Until I Die or... Um, oh my gosh, I'm totally miserably failing on this. But anyway, she's got ALS and she's writing this and she took however much time she took to write this book. And of course, that's a terminal illness. You get diagnosed with ALS, you're like, holy shit. You have a limited amount of time to to live and you know it. And it's debilitating. You know, she wrote the the majority of the book on her phone with her fingers. So talk about a struggle and one of the things she said where resonated with me is she says and she's trying to figure out why 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 is this happening to me and it's she says don't search for answers live the question enjoy life more because of the uncertainty not less and that really struck a chord with me it's like yeah exactly i don't need to know why i want to live the why i want to figure out or i want i want to experience the answer you know it's actually it's funny that you know this is why i love you so much because uh you just said that and i uh you know we had we had planned on doing you know talking on new year's eve 
And I was like, cool. And the, the year, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we're now doing it on the 1st of 2019, which last night I was thinking to myself, I was like, huh, that's how I want to live this year. I'm not gonna make any promises, but I, I want to just live maybe not knowing and just experiencing everything. And, you know, and, and if the answers come to me, cool. But yeah, just living, just living my best life that I can. Stop trying to search for the questions <laughs> yeah. try, or the answers and just start living the question yeah. and being like, yep, okay. Yeah. That's, this is, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? That's absolutely amazing. And, you Until know. I say goodbye. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's the name. Don't okay. you hate that? And, right. That and I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking? Like, don't say goodbye. Like, no. Yeah. No, I'll have to look that up because I, I love, beautiful. I love to read. So I'll definitely look that up. You know, and, and I've always had this quote unquote question in the back of my, like, what's my purpose? Maybe, yeah, you're not supposed to know what it is. Maybe you're just supposed to live it. I know who's in my tribe. I know who's in my circle. And uh, that's all I need to know. And I'm going to continue to live my life and hopefully be a positive influence on my daughter because that's the most important and just continuously work to be better than I was the day before. I think that's key. I like that saying is it's not a competition with anybody else other than being better tomorrow. And at the same time, realizing that you're pretty awesome today. And I censored myself there just because. <laughs> but you are pretty fucking awesome today. And you, you look back on those yesterdays and you go, holy shit. Yep, I made it. And all those yesterdays made you who you are today. Whether or not it's the strength we get from this awesome band that we both love and follow or the strength we get from the shit we've gone through, we went through it. Mm-hmm. And we're here And today is all you got. It's cliche to say, but so many of us don't do that or we take that for granted. And you know what? I I think it's awesome as well you sharing this story because you're going to also share in helping someone who might have some mental health stuff going on and being like, okay, it's all right for me to maybe ask for help. You know, you said you had gone to therapy and you've dealt with this stuff and you didn't do it on your own. And none of us do it on my own, on our own. We're like a tree, in a sense, you know, with this giant root underneath, and it's all connected. It's beautiful. It's awesome. And when you realize that, it makes it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. It doesn't doesn't lift it all up. It, the weight might still be there, but it's like. And Jason, the photographer, he said it best. He's like, you know what? I still have the baggage, but I carry it a lot better now. Yeah. I carry it a hell of a lot easier now, but it's still there. I still have to lug it around, but you know what? And I, I, I thought that was very poetic and beautiful to say. And sharing that is a beautiful thing. It's an awesome thing. You know, we're not, we're not sitting here bitching. We're not sitting here moping. We're going. You know what? It's the first day of 2019. We're sharing this story, which was hard. And I thank you for sharing it with me and for everyone or anyone listening and full steam ahead you know what i mean this is it we we got it we're shifting down yeah no <laughs> so to say yeah it's not cruise control but definitely we're not in the the high gears anymore <laughs> no well no but it, it's just you know, we're yeah. we're going to you get to that point where it's almost like you realize like okay this is all i got is right here mm-hmm. what's right in front of me and it makes it a little bit easier. And I've got a great system around me. I've got great people around me. And there's lots of love. There's a lot more love in this world than hate. There's a hell of a lot more love in this world than hate. And if you realize that, if th- that there's a lot more light than dark, that makes it a little bit better too, mm-hmm. I think. So Absolutely. thank you again for sharing your story. Obviously, thank you for freaking coming from... From California to <laughs> Dallas to sit here this and talk with me. This has been a great vacation, man. I mean, you know, we got to eat crappy nachos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know? we did. <laughs> but no, it's been an awesome vacation. I'm catching up with people that I haven't seen in years. And so it's been a... Which is awesome. You know, and, uh, and just a little side note. For me, I literally left California in 2018. Yeah. I'm going back to California in a new year. So for me, it's just... I literally am starting over. 
That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. And where everyone can find your book on Amazon, just like I did? So it's Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com. You type in, you know, my name, Tara Felina. F-E-L-I-N-A. F-E-L-I-N-A and Jump Rope. You know, and it's funny because the cover looks all sweet and innocent. And so <laughs> it does look like a children's book just to give everyone a, a clue, but it's not. <laughs> I don't know, but it fits me. It definitely, the, the cover fits me. That's That's me. And again, I want to say that anybody who is listening and has listened to this at any point and you're dealing with any of this stuff and you need some help, please ask for help. Whether or not you've been a victim or you've been preyed upon by somebody, whatever it is, if you're struggling and you're dealing with something and you need help, ask for help. Someone will help you. So you're not alone, right? If there's anything we can share, you and I, in this whole shit story that we've been talking about is you're not alone there's so many people out there and all you have to do is just you just have to find someone who's willing to listen to you more than just the words that are you're saying they actually want to you know be there for you you know and there's always one person for anyone so yes if anybody does come to you and says you know hey i'm having this issue you know, no matter what it is, please just give them that five minutes, ten minutes, because you never know. You may that be that person that all of a sudden they woke up that one day and go, okay, I trust them. I'm going to go talk to them. And if you shut that door, that could be it. Yep. So just it doesn't take a lot to listen. It exactly. just takes it just takes two ears and a quiet mouth. <laughs> What you hear from Tara there is real. It's genuine. Her desire to help, to be there for anyone in need, it's what she's devoted her life to. And that has been instilled out of this darkness. But the light that's come from that is beautiful. And what we didn't touch on in this episode, because it happened after the book, was shortly after the publishing of Jump Rope, Tara lost her second husband, Emery. He went to the gym one day and passed out and never woke up again. He had diabetes for probably a long time and wasn't diagnosed. And Tara still bounced back. She still came to Dallas and met with me and recorded. And we had this amazing session that you got to be a part of and listen to today. And not only that, but she's moving forward in great strides. I'm not exactly sure how long ago, But Tara started doing a thing called Friday Thoughts, where every Friday she posts a video of herself talking to her phone on Facebook. And it's really helped her, and you've been able to see, I've been able to watch and see that attitude grow and work things out on her own and just talk about whatever's going on in her life, daily struggles, Friday Thoughts. It's awesome. It's been really cool to be a part of and to watch And if you have the availability and you want to try and connect with her on Facebook or something like that, go for it. And I'm going to do something special here too. I've got an extra copy of Tara's book, Jump Rope, that I bought when I bought my own copy back in December. And I'm going to give that away to someone. I want to give it away to someone who wants to read it and share this story and get more in depth with Tara because it is a really good story. So what I'm going to ask that you do is... Take a screenshot on your phone, somehow take some kind of image and tag the show in it. Do it on Instagram or Facebook and just tag it with hashtag jump rope. And what I'll do is I'll wait, I'll wait a couple weeks and then I'll get all the entries and I'll do a random number generator and I'll give it away to whoever entry comes up with that number. Sound good? Go ahead and do that. Um, I would love it. I would love for you to share the show, share the book, whatever it is you want to do. We'd love for you to be a part of it. It's an awesome book. If you want to go ahead and read it, it's available at Barnes & Noble. It's available on Amazon. Just search for Jump Rope and look for the author, Tara Felina. I also want to send a special thank you to Tara. Her courage to meet with me and go through these things and share this story with a complete stranger at the time 
is so endearing and something I will not forget. And I love you for it, Tara. You've inspired me. I know you will inspire other people who hear you through this message or who read your book. Thank you, and you are a godsend. I really appreciate and I love the fact that I've met you and that I have you in my corner as well as a friend. Thank you so much. And until the next time you hear my voice, keep graceful dancing. And you're a superstar on your own. And I'm looking over your shoulder, getting older and God.